There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. On old Olympus towering top, a Finn and German viewed a hop. Only overgrown orangutans try to aggravate fat vagrants getting vodka and hamburgers. Old octopus occasionally <laughs> tries trigonometry and feels very gloomy, vague and hyperactive. This is the best one. Oh, 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 to touch and feel very good velvet. Ah, heaven. Welcome, everybody, to a very strange and poetic episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Today, we're going through the cranial nerves, Matthew. Nerves of the cranium. And what were we just doing then, apart from being quite poetic and talking crap? Um, We were doing mnemonics, an easier way to remember the 12 paired... Yeah, cranial nerves. That's right. So when I say O O O to touch and feel very good velvet, the first letter of each one of those words corresponds to the first letter of each of the twelve pairs of cranial nerves. Yeah. So in in humans, yeah, probably mammals, we have twelve paired cranial nerves. So so one either side. That's right. Coming out of the brain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brain. Brain stem would Mid-brain. be more accurate. Pons, medulla, all of them? Well, that's a brainstem. Well, <laughs> just showing off, that's all. I know three words. Okay, so yes, if you're a fish, you might have 17, but we're not. We're a mammal, so we have 12 cranial 17? What are the other five? I think they blend into other areas. Okay. Stop asking questions. So Sorry, asking questions you don't know, more like it. Yep. Should we say what each one of those letters stand for? O-O-O? All right. So, you do your mnemonic and okay. I'll correspond with the... Uh, First word. O. Uh, olfactory. 
Oh. Optic. Oh. <laughs> Ocular motor. Two. <laughs> I forgot what it was. Oh, oh, oh. Two. Trochlea. Touch. Trigeminal. And. Abducens. Feel. Facial. Very. Vagus. Good. Glossopharyngeal. Velvet. Go back, go yeah, back. Yeah, no, I know you buggered that one up. First V, yeah. vestibular cochlear. <laughs> oh, G, good. G, good. Uh, glossopharyngeal. Velvet. Vegas. Ah. <laughs> uh, accessory. Heaven. Hypoglossus. You should have written it down instead of trying to do it free willy style off the top of your head. Free willy. Now, um, so they're the 12 pairs of cranial nerves. Mm-hmm. Now... What are the functions? But just generally, just generally speaking, for all twelve pairs of cranial nerves, yeah, what are they there for? Where they well, that they are homologs to the spinal nerves, so they are equivalent of the spinal nerves of your body. So they go, um, your spinal nerves innervate all the structures of your body, so muscles and skin, so sensory and motor. Yeah, so going into your head now, or supplying all the structures of your head, and to be accurate, neck. Okay, these nerves are going to have either they're either going to be sensory, um, motor, mm. or mixed. So, I've got another mnemonic. Okay. Okay. So, if you write down, if you're a student, you're trying to remember the 12 pairs of cranial nerves, and you write down O-O-O to touch and feel very good velvet, are heaven, just write down the first letter of each of those. So, you're going to have O-O-O-T-T-A-F-V-G-V-A-H. You can then write next to each of those words another word, which is, some say marry money, but my brother says big brains matter most. Okay. And again, the first letter of each of those words corresponds to, it's either going to be S, M, or B. Okay, so sensory, motor, or both. Correct. Okay. Now, just to add one level of complexity to it, uh, in your head slash face, you have... Outside sensory and motor, you have a, a special, well, they are special, special oh. sensory. Yeah. So, they're localized only in the head and face. And that would be... So, they're sensory, smell? very localized. What type, what type of Yeah, well, you, you've already said one, so... Smell, okay. So, let's go. So, you've got sight. Let's go. Sight. So, that's visual. Yep. Smell. Okay. Hearing. Hearing, okay. Okay. The... Well, in other animals, they call it the lateral line, which is... Um, Apparently, fish taste on their body. They taste on their body. Yeah, so their body actually tastes for them. So, the body is a tongue. Yeah, I guess so. But for what us... What they taste? They taste in the water around Yeah, them. and I guess... Mo- <laughs> mo- movement as movement, well. Movement, okay. So, movement and chemicals, I guess. Also, like reverberations throughout the water. Yeah, and so that's now kind of localized up into a hmm. funny looking thing that sits in our mouth called the tongue. Or the glossus. Glossus. Okay, which would make sense with some of the nerves a bit later. Yeah, okay. Um, and so, you've got taste as well, but you also have, which I think you said first, olfaction, which mm. is... Sense of smell. Smell. And in many animals, um, it's very important for reproduction as well. Really? Not the nose, per se. Okay. <laughs> they don't going to say, it's not a reproductive <laughs> organ. <laughs> but they do help... Each to their own. Um, ...for mating and so forth. All right. That's why, you know... Um, they dog smell each other's bums and so forth. Is that part of mating? Uh, I thought it was just getting to know you. I remember the first time I met you. <laughs> Had a good sniff. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> All right. So, 
let's uh, should we start at the first cranial nerve and talk about the anatomy, then talk about the physiology, and then talk about whether it's sensory or motor or both, and then how we can test it clinically? Yeah, and any kind of clinical correlates that go with it. Perfect. So I think that probably makes the most sense just to move through. Um, so as I said earlier, um, cranial nerve one. The cranial nerves are just they're still peripheral nerves, so they're yeah. still. So th- actually, this is a good point. Because many students, well, my students anyway, and that could be just my teaching, (laughs) because it's in the skull, they get confused. They think think it's central central nervous system, but it's not. It's outside the brain or outside the spinal cord. Well, you made the statement, it's a homologue of the spinal nerves, which are peripheral. That's right. So, cranial nerves are peripheral nerves, but they're... Basically, what's happened is in the early vertebrates, some of them were outside the skull. Okay, but as we've the moved, cranial nerves, yeah, really, because they were spinal nerves. Oh, yeah. um, but as we've moved into higher order vertebrates like mammals, they've now been taken back into the skull, so okay. they've gone back in. Okay, so that is why some of the cranial nerves, particularly the latter ones, actually fuse with the cervical spinal nerves. Ah, okay, so they actually jump on, and so you would see, say. Um, the accessory nerve, number 11, number 11, it has two parts to it. It has a cranial part and a, a spinal part. Yeah. And if you want to test the spinal part... Shoulder shrug. Right. So, it's doing muscles of the trunk almost or the neck. Nice. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's start at number one All right. so we can have a, a nice sort of a, a, a approach to how we're going to get through the anatomy, physiology, and, and, and clinical correlates of each of these nerves. Cranial nerve one known as the olfactory nerve. Okay, and so olfaction is? Sense of smell. Smelling, yeah. So the olfactory nerve is a nerve that, um, because it, well, it's sensory, so it's got an S with it. Yeah, so that's some, from some say, my yep. money. So this nerve is all about bringing a type of sensation into your brain. Yeah. Well, actually, let's, with this, technically the first two cranial nerves aren't, Real cranial nerves that actually oh. are extensions of brain. Right. Even okay. though you just said I know, I know. peripheral nerves, not part of the brain. Well, they are part of the brain, but they're extensions of... Yeah. So, if you want to be highly accurate and anal as an animist, mm. they would say the first two aren't typical cranial nerves. All right. So, but as wait, an anatomist, just yeah. so... Okay. So, people have... It's obviously good to listen to this podcast while maybe you've got a picture of the of uh, the brain with the cranial nerves coming off. What's the best way to view the cranial nerves anatomically? Is it an inferior view to to look at the brain from underneath? Is that the best way to view the cranial nerves? Yeah, I think that's traditionally how it would be done. Like, so you the brain's been pulled out yep. and viewed from underneath. Yes. And you can, I think, Barring maybe one, you can see them all. Because okay. they're kind of mostly all coming off ventrally. Now, the fact that they're numbered from 1 to 12, yeah. are they numbered like this for any particular... Are they numbered in this order for any particular reason? I think mostly they will be moving from uh, cranial to caudal. Meaning or, front to back or uh, back to front? No, mo- from top of the head down, down to the so, It's bump. difficult because in neuroanatomy, it's not accurate to say superior, inferior. It's kind of... Yeah, it makes sense. It's kind of like front superior to yeah. back. From head to tail. Inferior. Yeah. Because in the embryo, it kind of curls up. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so... But I, I think it does move from um, the top of the brain yeah. and moves down the brain stem. So, it goes midbrain, pons, and then medulla. And so then once you're in the, the pons, 
it kind of goes ventral dorsal and then in the in the medulla it kind of it's a bit confusing but it kind right, of so has everyone turned off now yeah so okay so that, but yeah it, okay so, so very yes, simply inferior I so, think that's so the, the first cranial nerve which we're going through, which is the olfactory, is going to be most superior, even though you said it's not the most appropriate term, and anterior. And the last cranial nerve, which is the hypoglossal nerve yeah. or hypoglossus, is most inferior posterior. Yeah, I'd probably, lowest down. I'd probably go with that. Okay, we'll stick there. All right, olfactory sense of smell. Now you said it's a sensory, and it makes sense because it's a sense of smell. What else can you tell us about it anatomically? Well, it, it is an extension out of the telencephalon. So that is, I guess, what you'd call the higher brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's kind of an extension of that. And because it's sensory, it's probably more accurate to say it's going out in rather than in out. So it's because sensory... Afferent. Afferent signals yeah, sensory to nerves, the brain, not away from the brain. Right. So its receptors itself are located in the kind of top of your nose. So, yeah. if you were to put your finger in your nose... Doing it. ...and push, yeah. push it as high up and kind of... Doing back, it. ...back as you can. Yep. That location where your finger is now. Should I be wrist deep? Is this possible? Well, you do have a fairly... Small hand or big nose. <laughs> or both. Um, <laughs> that's kind of where the receptors would be. And I think also medial, medial septum as well. So, that's kind of that... Thing that separates separates the nostrils. So you're saying this is where the en- nerve endings for olfactory nerves sit. Well, the receptors. The receptors. Don't they sit through a bony plate? Well, they have to go through that, yeah. But they're sitting in the mucosa of your nose. Yes. Of you know that stuff that makes the mucus. But you can't physically touch them when you put your fingers as high up as possible. Uh, I don't ju- know. I would say probably no. You, you can't. Okay. Just let you know. <laughs> now look, let's just pause one second here. Yeah. We. We. Both Michael and I, we actually do research in a group in this area. Yes, so we do. We, I'm more peripheral nerve research. Michael did a lot of his early research in Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. But we're both in a lab now that do um, look at certain stem cells from the nose for nerve or um, neuronal regenerate, re- regeneration. Yep. And it's not the it's not the smelling nerves; it's the the nerves that support these smelling neurons. So the okay. glial cells, the, the helping cells. the helping cells, called olfactory and sheathing cells. Yeah. So um, some of the ENT surgeons that we work with will actually take a biopsy from this part we're just talking about now. That kind of will shoot a punch biopsy into the top part of the nose, olfactory mucosa, and pull out. Uh, more the glial cells than the nerve cells. Yes. Now, these nerve cells, the, now the re- people are probably asking why, do we, uh, why are we looking at cells from the nose for regenerative therapies. Well, if you think about it, every single day you're smelling stuff. Now, not all the things you're smelling are nice roses. Some are quite noxious and some are quite damaging. And on a daily basis, you destroy the neurons in your nose. And a lot of people think that once a neuron's dead, it's gone forever. Well, mm. that's quite true centrally for your central nervous system but for the neurons in your nose they regenerate on a daily basis and so we're trying to take these neurons and the cells that support these neurons and use its or exploit its regenerative uh, characteristics Mm. for spinal cord regeneration Mm. and that's what the Australian of the Year Alan Mackay Sim was award for he kind of pushed this forward yeah, and started a lot of this research, right? Yeah. So, um, 
to get back onto the nerve itself, yes. these are kind of axonal projections into the nasal mucosa, but their central axons then have to go up through the skull because the nose, uh, if you feel it, has a kind of a cartilage area yeah, and then it goes into a bony area yeah, and that bony area is now moving into the inside of the skull where the brain is, right? Now, the point of where you have the nerves going into the nose to where they go back into the skull is a plate yeah. in the ethnoid bone, okay? And they've got little minute holes in it, like, I don't know, how would you describe it? Like They're a, pores. They're, it's just a porous bone. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Better than I would have explained. So, Usually. these small little nerve filaments project through this cribriform plate yep. and now up into the, not quite the brain yet, but a bulb on each side. So, you have one bulb for the left no- nostril and... Um, What's the bulb do? Well, that's where you have the first synapse, so the first communication between yeah. that nerve and the next nerve that's going to okay. go to the brain. Yeah. And so, then basically... So, once you're saying that when I take a sniff in and all these chemicals are coming into my nares, my nose, and these chemicals will touch these nerve endings of the olfactory nerve, the receptors, it's going to stimulate these nerve endings, send an action potential, which we've done a podcast on. It will go from the nose through this cribriform plate, so through this bony plate with holes in it, go to the olfactory bulb, which is a little bit higher than that, synapse with the second neuron. And then that will go into the brain and we'll be aware that we've smelt something in particular. Yeah. So, I, I guess it's p- important to point out that the receptors that are picking up this, the sense of smell are probably chemoreceptors, a type of chemoreceptors that when a, which is a an odorant, which is a type of chemical, I guess, floats through into your nose, sits on one of these receptors and stimulates it. Yep. And then, um, but to do this, it's got nothing to do with the odorant. It's just bind into the receptor to stimulate the action potential. Yeah. So, technically, to to test this nerve, so if you went to a doctor and they wanted to do a neurological examination on you, they would do these 12 cranial nerves, yeah. right? But just to get this... So, if the doctor gave you a, scent, a smell, it's a smell, just the fact that you can smell it is means that the olfactory nerve is patent. But if you got the smell wrong, so let's say I gave you vanilla and you said it was coffee, that's more of a, a, an issue with your brain processing it. Yes. Not the nerve. So if the nerve's you're, still nerve smelling something. Smell or not smell. That's right. To smell or not Now, just to further clarify that point about clinical testing, um, the types of smells that you would use to test whether somebody has lost their sense of smell or not, which is called anosmia, if you lose your sense of smell, uh, soft, musks, floral, ketone-like smells, you don't use harsh smells like ammonia uh, because they're noxious and what they can sometimes do is accidentally trigger the nerve endings of the fifth cranial nerve, which is called the trigeminal nerve. And because it's noxious, it may stimulate the trigeminal nerve and you may think or you may have the perception that you're smelling something. When in actual fact, it's a false positive stimulating cranial nerve five. So it has to be florally, ketone, nice, soft, musky scents. Yeah. If you want to do it properly. Now, let's just say you do this and the patient can't smell anything. Doesn't mean that cranial nerve has an issue with it, Matt. 
Is that a question to That's me? That's a question to you. Matt, if if you do this and you put a floral scent under a patient's okay. nose and they don't smell anything, does that mean that there is damage to that cranial nerve? Well, I, I guess you wouldn't jump to that conclusion straight away. They might Correct. have some issues with their nose, like they might have a cold. Yes. Or they might have polyps. Could have polyps. Um, probably other things. You would also probably ask the patient uh, if they've had a head knock recently. Why do you reckon? Oh, well, with that cribriform plate, that bony, porous plate, as you mentioned, the nerves go through it. So if you whack that, the, so if your forehead gets hit, mm. so it can shear those nerves off. Yeah, so just like if you were to put cheese in a grater and then you were to shift the grater, you can shear off those nerve endings and uh, you can lose your sense of smell. Mm. And it's sometimes called surfer's anosmia because surfers sometimes get knocked in the head with their surfboard. And uh, they can present at the doctors and go, I can't smell anything. And they'll say, did you have a head knock recently? And they go, yeah, I did. I think. Can't remember. Um, or it could, you know, you said I did Parkinson's research early on in my career. True. Uh, one of the earliest signs of Parkinson's disease is a, uh, a loss of uh, the sense of smell, anosmia. And that goes with other neurodegenerative stuff too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. You can lose your sense I mean, of smell up to, up to 10 years prior to any other clinical manifestations. Okay. Interesting. Um, we should probably the, leave and the, that. And the final point I think we should just make with that head trauma, because the cribriform plate is sealed off from the outside world to the brain by your meninges, with a rupture or a damage to that plate, it can also cause the CSF from your brain. What's that? Cerebral spinal fluid, the oh, yeah. clear fluid, to come through into your nose. So you, you might have a patient that has had a head knock and then you have fluid running through their nose. And that's CSF. Which they may mistake for just a runny nose. Oh. It could actually be CSF. Gross. And one final point. Sorry. Yeah, no, let's, let's An- spend 40 minutes on another, the olfactory nerve. <laughs> another um, group in our group, subgroup what? in our group. Oh, of yeah, research, our research group. Yeah. They, they're looking at how some infections may go up through the nose into yes. the brain. Yes. Like meningitis or encephalitis. Right? Yes. <laughs> Close. Bacteria, viruses, so forth. Yeah. Okay, good. Olfactory done. Done. Number two. Number one. Okay, the second O of OOO. So this is optic, and that should the name should give you some idea where yes. it's going. The ear. <laughs> so eye. optic eye. So this is the next part of the brain down. This is coming from the diencephalon. The die, not the, the tell, not the telencephalon. No, the telencephalon is which the is higher the, center. Yeah. Um, diencephalon is going to be more like the thalamus, hypothalamus, that kind of region. Gotcha. Okay, so... A deeper part of the brain. Deeper part, yeah. Yep. So, the olfactory, again, is this extension of that area. Olfactory it, or optic? Sorry, optic. Yep. And it's all about sensory, but it's a special sensory because you don't have a visual input anywhere else in your body. Gotcha. Okay. So, it's specialized in that sense. Okay. Yep. So, Yep. my turn? Yes, go for it. <laughs> so, I was just going to say, if you want to test it, should we go straight to t- anything else you want to say before we start talking about testing? Since it's a specialized sensory nerve, you want to, there's sort of four separate tests that you can do with it. You test the field, you test the fundi, test the acuity, you test the pupils. So, basically, if you want to test the field, so again, you're testing the, how, uh, how good this nerve is at picking up visual input, basically. So, first one, testing the field, field of view, stand in front of the patient. You stand there and you basically just randomly wiggle your fingers, but you do it in the four fields of view. 
you know, top right, top left, bottom left, bottom right. Yeah. And you have two hands up at once and you just randomly w- get them to just look at you and hopefully they can see which fingers are being wriggled in their periphery. And you just mm-hmm. ask them to point at whatever fingers are being wriggled. So that's to test that point of, uh, that field of view. Now, if that patient isn't cooperating with you and they don't want to do this, they don't want to point at the fingers that are wiggling, you can do what's called a, uh, the menace test which basically you walk up and you sort of pretend as though you're going to punch him in the face and you stop just before you hit them in the face. It's virtually impossible to not blink okay. when this is happening. Okay? And so that's another way. So, yeah. So I think with this nerve, can we, before we continue with the clinical, yeah, can go we just for it. talk about the anatomy? Yeah, that's what I asked before. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so each eyeball, yeah. okay, if you cut it in, not not literally, yeah, but if you were to metaphorically, cut, if you were to cut it in half vertically, and each eyeball had a right and left half, mm-hmm. okay, the medial, so the one closest to the nose half, would that portion of the eyeball that would receive visual input would actually cross to the other side of the brain. Yes. Okay. Whereas the outside part, the one closest to your ear, would stay on the same side to to your brain. So, can I reiterate that? Yeah. In the podcast I did, that really fantastic podcast I did with Grant. Without me. Without you. We spoke about um, uh, the split brain experiment. And we spoke about how if you show an image to an individual in their right field of view. So, that just means the right field of view for both eyes. It goes to the left-hand side of the brain. If you show something in the left field of view of both eyes, it goes to the right-hand side of the brain, which shows that the signal crosses over. So, the left field of view of both eyes will go to the right-hand side, and the right field of view of both eyes will go to the left-hand side. So, it does cross over. It's not whatever's in the right eye goes to the left, and whatever's in the left eye goes to the right. It's the field of view. Yeah. And so, that's that's just telling you that each eye will get uh, and send images to both parts of the brain. Yeah. Okay. So, when you're testing the field of view, yeah. if there was lesions on this nerve, mm. there's going to be def- different deficits depending on where the lesion is. So, if you had a lesion right directly on the nerve behind the eyeball, the whole eye would be essentially blind. So, you wouldn't have any input. Okay. Now, if you go back a bit further, so a bit deeper in the brain, there's a point where the, all the fibers cross over. So, you have some that will go to the other side. The chiasm, yeah, which is the cross part. That actually sits right in front of the pituitary gland. Mm-hmm. So, patients who have a pituitary tumor, it can push against the chiasm, okay, which then is going to cause problem with the way that the the crossover points occur. Okay. And so, if you would imagine... If you got on the left eye, it's bringing signals from the nose half of the left eye and it's bringing on the right eye, the nose part of the right eye across to each side. But, just to make it more confusing, Mm. the nose half of your eye actually gets vision from the temporal side of the outside world because the way that the light comes in through your eye, it kind of, what's the word, refracts or something? Yeah. And so, a person would present with kind of tunnel vision. So, if a person comes to the doctor and says, hey, doc, I keep running into the door frame, 
it's because they don't see their peripheral vision anymore. Yeah. And so that's potentially due to a lesion or a, an issue with the chiasma, okay. the crossing over point. Does uh-huh. that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Um, anything else about the anatomy? And then it kind of from that chiasma, it then reflects back as an optic tract, which then goes into the diencephalon and then can go into other um, strange areas like, it's not really strange, but areas of like, so the midbrain. Yeah, and so, oh, such a strange area of the midbrain. <laughs> um, where you might also have um, auditory input and that's why sometimes you have a, um, a reflex. Mm-hmm. So they have a visual auditory reflex where if you hear a really loud sound... You see a bright light. And you, but you will directly look at it. So what about synesthesia? Point. You heard the term synesthesia? Crossing over? Crossing over from different sensory inputs. So some people can hear a loud noise and they'll see a bright light. Mm. Or some people may um, uh, see a particular color and taste a particular type of food. I know it's got nothing to do with this particular... <laughs> no, I just think synesthesia is a very interesting field of research. Okay, so th- oh, that's it for me for anatomy. So, right. clini- clinical, you already said about the visual fields. I think we're yeah. done with that. Yeah, but what we can do is you can also... So, I said visual fields, but you can also use an ophthalmoscope and have a look into the eye and actually look at the nerve, the optic yeah, nerve. Yeah, so the back of the back of the eye. Yeah, so you look at like color and contours and, and you can even have a look to see if there's signs of increased intracranial pressure. Like because it bulges out or something. Because right? well, it bulges out, but also if you look at it, it it should look a bit white, mm. right? But if it looks very pink, it's a good indication that there's increased intracranial pressure. Oh, there you go. So and so a lot of these would be done um, if you just go to your ophthalmologist. Mm. Um, ophthalmologist. Now, what is it? Ophthalmologist. Ophthalmologist. Yeah. What's the specialist though? Yeah, ophthalmology. But what's the what's the person who gives you glasses? Optometrist. Yeah. Optometrist. <laughs> Sorry. So most of us. Um, who have glasses like myself? Not go to the optometrist. Twenty twenty, baby. Just to check your acuity. Yeah. But they would also check some eye health. So they would look presumably at your optic disc, which is the back of your nerve. Yeah. To see these changes that you just That's mentioned, right. and if there's swelling or something. Um. So we said field of view. We said you can have a look at the nerve itself and look at the disc. Um. You can also do the pupillary response, right? Yeah, and well, the, the other one as well is, I think before that even, would be just if you've got twenty twenty vision. Yeah, acuity. So yes, So, just absolutely. looking at a, a chart, right? Yes. Now, would you do both eyes together or would you... Do them separately because yeah. how do you know, right? How okay. do you know which is which one's been affected, if yeah. they've been affected? Now, okay, the, so last one, yep. Yeah, the pupillary reflex. Basically, take a light. You'll cover the patient's eye or at least cover one eye so that the light only shines into one particular eye. And um, what you should see is a typical reflex in which the pupil, obviously when there's a lot of light, the pupil constricts to reduce the amount of light coming in. Mm. And if there's a lot, if there's less light, the pupil should dilate. So when you shine a light very quickly into, let's just say, the left eye, that left pupil should constrict. But the interesting thing is, even though you're uh, hiding the right eye from the light, the right pupil should also constrict. So you should get this bilateral pupillary constriction, even though you shine the light only one eye, right? And why is that? Because of that chiasma. Very good. Because so crossing over. So each eye will cross over to the other side. So this this and is important. And, and um, isn't there, you should probably know this, doesn't the signal also rely upon the third cranial nerve? Yeah, that's right. Ocular motor? I was, I was about to say that, yeah. And so, even some of the parasympathetic fibers? So it's only testing when you do the light reflex, which is a very common test um, in emergency. So a person's coming with some kind of trauma. 
they just want to make sure neurologically they're sound. So one of the first tests that they'll do is neurologically is the light reflex. So they will, uh, I think in the ED setting, they won't cover the other eye. They'll just shine it in the, say, the left, look at both, and then go to the right, look yeah. at both. And so the reason what this reflex, we know by reflex, it has a sensory and a motor component. The light reflex is actually tensing, te- testing, yeah, testing the sensory part gotcha. of the optic. Yeah. Because the motor part, the pupil constriction, is the next nerve, which we can do now. Okay, next nerve. Are you so, happy with o, the optic? O, o, yeah. Okay. O, o, third O. So the ne- next one is O, ocular motor, and it should give you in its name that it's. Moving the eye. <laughs> motor, motor, motor. Um, so movement. Now, should we, I didn't ask you this before the podcast, but should we, because we're looking at eye movement now, there's actually three cranial nerves that sort of focus on eye movement. Yep. That's cranial nerve three, four, and six, yep. which is ocular motor, trochlea, and abducens. Yep. Should we do them all together? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay. So firstly, do you want to talk about the anatomy of all three? And then we'll talk about how they all work together to allow for the eye to move left, right, up, down, so forth. Yep. Okay. So, go. Uh, ocul- Quick, go. Go. Ocular motor th- is three. Yep. Uh, ocular. And you said it's motor. Eye, motor movement. Yep. So, it's the big mover of the eye. Uh, it's the only... Well, yes, it's the only... Ner- no. Wrong, actually. Yep. It comes from the midbrain. Mm-hmm. So, this is the first superior aspect of the brain stem. Okay, it comes from the ventral surface of it, and it has two parts to it. It's got the big motor portion, but it's also got the parasympathetic, which we did last week. Oh, so the we parasympathetic portion, which is called the Edinger-Westphal nucleus, oh yeah, that I is saying that. that is bringing parasympathetic function to the eye itself, which and, would be lacrimation. And no, you said it's not lacrimation. I made that exact same mistake last week. It's the pupil construction. construction. Yeah, that's right. And it's also accommodation or change in lens. Yeah. So, um, that's ocular motor. So, that's coming from the front part or the ventral part of the midbrain. To the eye, to allow yeah. it to move, yeah. Moving down to trochlea, which means pulley. Trochlea yep. is pulley. This is cranial nerve four. Four, yep. And again, it's motor. It's motor. So, this is an interesting one. This is the only true nerve that comes from the back of the brainstem. Okay. Okay. Now, interestingly... I hope it is. (laughs) Why is this important? I've always asked, well, why would you have a nerve that oddly comes from the back and all the rest comes from the front? Again, going back to the earlier animals. Because we had eyes on the back of our head. We have the third eye. So oh, animals, shut up. So, animals have the third eye. What are you which, talking about? <laughs> which is the pineal gland. Oh, okay. here we go. So, the pineal gland... That's a hippie, gland, everyone. The pineal <laughs> is actually biologically sound. The pineal gland, um, for us, has lost... Well, as far as I think we know, has lost its um, visual receptors. Would that be the right word? Photoreceptors. Yeah. Photoreceptors. But if you go to some of the lower vertebrates... Um, the pineal gland will actually still have photoreceptors, like birds. Yes. So, that drives their circadian rhythm. That's right. And so, light actually comes through birds' skull, not only through their eyes, but through their skull onto the pineal gland. And helps release melatonin. That's right. And the trochlear nerve moves that eye or that focus point. The trochlear nerve can move our pineal gland. Not our pineal gland, but a thing that focuses, I believe, 
um, the light onto the pineal gland. But not for us. Not for us. It's then migrated to the eye. So and the trochlea, just, just to clarify with people who now want to espouse the importance of our third eye, um, the trochlear nerve <laughs> does not any longer control the pineal gland for us. Not that, uh, not that I'm aware of, anyway. Don't think so. But the eye... Yeah, will send light to the pineal gland. Oh, absolutely! And that gives you the circadian rhythm, but uh, helps with the circadian rhythm. That's right. The so, melatonin release: yeah, more yeah. light, less melatonin; less light, more yeah. melatonin. That's why it's very important that prior to going to bed, a couple of hours, don't use your iPad, don't use your phone, don't use the TV, because that light stimulates the pineal and reduces the amount of melatonin. Does not make you tired. Yeah. Turn those yep. lights off, especially blue lights, interestingly enough. Blue lights okay. really love to inhibit melatonin. Anyway, besides so the, the point. So the, I thought that was interesting. Did you? <laughs> no, no. I absolutely think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's super so, interesting. So the trochlear nerve now... I didn't has, know that birds had transparent skulls. Yeah, so that's like... So if you go into poultry science yeah. and you want to get... A Which good, is my favorite science. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you want to get good efficiency out of the chooks, you would put their last, the light cycle in eight-hour cycles rather than, say, the natural 12. And so you can get one and a half eggs per day. Not, not obviously, one and a half. That is... Is that common practice? I would, I would assume it would be because, you know, from a um, business point of view, you want to get the most eggs out of your chickens, right? What about from an ethical point of view? Is that another conversation? Well, that's not, definitely another conversation. But anyway, that's trochlear nerve. That's number four. Yes. Um, that's moving because it's in its name, trochlea is... Pulley? Pulley, and Pulls it's moving the superior oblique muscle to move your eye, which we'll do that in one yeah, second. Yeah, we'll do it in a sec, yeah. And then finally, Number the six. last nerve to go to your extraocular so eye So, we're muscles. skipping five at the moment, just skipping so everyone five. knows. Yep. We go to abducens. In its name, it should give it away. Abducens or abduct. To abduct, essentially. Means to take you, away. To take away. So, if you take away your eye... You're just moving, <laughs> you're moving it away from the midline. This one so, takes it all out of your head. Yeah. So if you were to look outwards, at least with one eye, yeah. Then so you, laterally, not medially. Laterally, that's right. Yeah. And so that's the reducens nerve. Okay. So cranial nerve three, four, and six are motor nerves, and they are respectively the ocular motor, trochlea, and abducens, yep. and they allow for all the eye movements. That's right. And okay. so when you go to the doctor, or the doctor's doing a physical. At least a neurological physical. They make me cough. Oh, okay. They the will get you to follow their finger and they would almost draw this big H. Remember oh, they draw the H. Yes, 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 yes. So by drawing right. the H and getting the H you to follow, that will, tell, that will test all the muscles that will move your eyes in those planes. So the H, meaning each end of the H starts in each of the four visual fields. Yeah. Top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right. Yep. And then you get them to follow the finger down that and across that H. Perfect. So. Perfect. So, so, we, so. Qu- can we just quickly do the muscles then? Yeah, totally. Okay, so to move your eyeball, just think of a golf ball. You have two muscles that kind of lie on top of it, one that lies at the bottom of it, and one on right and left or medial lateral. Okay? Oh, oh, there's one on both, both yeah. medially and, and both laterally. And then you have these strange um, pulley ones. Yeah, there's a lot of muscles. Oblique. Okay? So you have... Um, and they, and they, they're called rectus, which I think just means straight, like yeah, rectus your rectus abdominis or yep. rectum. Don't get that confused with your eye. Rectum. No. Um, <laughs> so you have the superior or a golf ball. <laughs> so you have your superior rectus. So that's a muscle that just pulls your eye straight up, looks straight up. Okay. 
Superior okay. rectus Superior pulls rectus. your eye straight up, and that's controlled by cranial nerve three. Three. And what would make sense to go with that is another muscle that sits on top of that still, yeah. which is called your levator palpuria superioris, Jesus. which is moving your eyelid. Yeah. Because when you look up, you want to move your eyelid. Oh, up yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So you're looking up. So looking up, you're using that superior rectus. You're pulling the eye up via cranial nerve three. Yeah. But also using that superior muscle that sits yeah. on top of it. It's lifting your eyelid. That's right. So that's cranial nerve three as well. That's also. However, yeah. Uh, it does have innovation by the sympathetic nerve system. Okay. By the facial nerve. No, it comes in by the carotid artery. So remember Christ. we did we did the sympathetic trunk. Yeah. Remember we spoke about the the cervical ganglion, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. one that sits up in the neck. Oh yeah. Right near the carotid. Yep. It brings its fibers up through. Which which fibers would it be? Some of them. Post ganglionic. ganglionic right? Yes. So it's post the ganglion. Yep. And it's bringing fibers up with the blood vessel to bring to your brain, and jumps on board with it, comes to this eye area. So if you have a sympathetic issue, what will you get? Droopin. Ptosis. Ptosis. Yeah. Ptosis. Yeah. <laughs> Silent P. Silent P. Makes sense? Which I always do in the middle of the night not to wake up my partner. Close your eyelids? No, Silent P. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the other muscles... So, in- okay, because, so, uh, look, this is super confusing. Yeah, it is. A little bit. Um, especially over... Podcast. So, just to reiterate what you've just said, you've said that to lift the eyes up, directly up, straight up, straight up. That's just cranial nerve three. Yeah. Okay. Next. The other one is if you want to go completely cross-eyed, so bring your eyes right to look at your nose. Yeah. You would need muscles to right on the medial surface of the eye, which yep. are called the medial rectus. And they they so they pull the eye inwards. Yeah. That's gotcha. also ocular motor. Oh, so that's cranial nerve three as well. Okay. Okay. And then you also have the inferior rectus, which yes. is the one at the directly the bottom of the eye. Yeah. Okay. And that would pull your eyes straight down. But laterally and down. No, just just straight down. I mean, if you isolated these muscles just on its own. Okay. Okay. That would pull the eyes straight down. That's the inferior rectus. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, the the last muscle the ocular motor will innovate is the inferior oblique which is the pulley at the bottom of the eye, which should bring it uh, up and, and in. In or out? Up and in. Okay. All right. I'll trust you on that. Up but definitely in. up. I'm just not sure if it's out or in. So Let's get these mixed up. So, so that's all ocular motor. Yes. Okay. The next one is trochlea. Should we just reiterate that? I think put them, all the muscles in and then we can talk about how all you right. test them. All right. Next one is trochlea, which is number four. Mm. That's only innervating one muscle to the eye. Yeah. And that's the superior oblique. Yes. Which is kind of sits above the eyeball, but on a pulley. Yeah. And it's attached to the surface of the eye, which when you pull on the pulley, it causes the eye to actually go down. Which doesn't sound right, does it? No. But just the way it's holding onto the golf ball, yeah. your eye. And with the pulley, yeah. it actually pulls the eye down and in. That's right. Okay. So, so cranial nerve five, the trochlea. Four. Yep. That's what I said. Cranial nerve four, trochlea, pulls the eye down and in towards the nose. That's right. Yep. And then finally, mm-hmm. you've got the abducens. What do we say abducens is like? It means to abduct, to okay. take away from the face. Yeah. So, it's so, that's moving it laterally. going to innovate the lateral rectus muscle, yep. which is on the outer, outer part of the eyeball. And that's look make the eye look out. Look outwards. Now, I don't think many people could do... Both unlo- eyes. Yeah, both <laughs> Chameleon. Out. Yeah. Well, both, like, most people can do a cross-eyed, which is 
bring in medial rectus completely. But to yeah, bring it possible. both out, I think would be almost... I think some people would be able to do it. You reckon? But, yeah, but I think most people... God, I get a headache. All right, so... So that's so, all of them together. Yeah, okay. So to simplify it, let's say that we gave an individual palsy of each one of these What nerves. does palsy mean? Palsy just means to be paralyzed in a sense. Okay. Um, so it, nerve by nerve. So let's just say we are inactivating cranial nerve 3, ocular motor... And that's got a lot of muscles there. It's got a lot of muscles. So basically, we said it goes up, it goes down, and it goes in. Which means what's going to happen is the affected eye, or the affected, because remember there's pairs of these cranial nerves, if one of the pairs of uh, ocular motor cranial nerve 3 is affected, the eye is going to turn down and outwards. Okay. Does that make sense? Because you're going to have lateral rectus in there. That's That's going to be dominating. Yes. And you're going to have superior oblique, which will be also dominating. So, all the other ones will be dominating. So, the superior oblique pulls down, so that'll be dominating, and the, la- and the lateral rectus pulls out, and that's going to be dominating. So, you get the eye pulled down and out. Okay. So, if a person, uh, I'd presume this will be unilateral, so on one side only, compared to affecting both. Yes. So, presumably, it'd probably have some lesion on its transverse from the midbrain to the... the contralateral side. Or maybe in the br- midbrain, if there's a tumour in the midbrain, maybe? Yes. Okay. So, contralateral means opposite, ipsilateral means same yeah. side. Okay. All right. Okay. What if we had palsy of cranial nerve 4, which is the trochlear nerve? So, what did the trochlear nerve do? It's simply... Down and in. Down and in. So, what happens is it's actually masked by the other nerves because it's all the other muscles. So, more so what you get is the patient tilts their head. Okay. And so they'll sort of walk in with a tilted head, trying to uh, correct for the um, issue. Okay, towards or contralateral, so opposing, opposing the issue. Okay, all right. And I think to to isolate that nerve, if you want to just check that nerve on its own, you would get the person to do a cross-eyed, mm-hmm. and then follow your finger straight down. That makes sense. And if they can't track downwards, then yeah. That, that, that's a nerve issue there. Because chocolate pulls down and in. All right, so uh, last one. This one's fairly easy, I think. Uh, cranial nerve six, which is abducens. You told us that it it abducted it, so it took it away from the face, so it pulls the eye laterally. That's paralyzed, and the eye's going to move in medially. Yeah, so I think uh, anecdotally, we've probably all seen some pe- people who have got an eye that's kind of looking in a bit more than the other. Yeah, I have seen so those that. So that could be. Maybe a weakness mm. of the lateral rectus, or it might be a nerve issue. Okay. Okay, that'd be much more easy to see straight off. All right. Cranial um, nerve five. The other couple of things just to add to that. Oh, yeah. Because the ocular motor also has parasympathetic, that's the motor portion of the pupil reflex. Oh, that's right. So yeah. you shine light into the eye, and you would see pupil constriction, not only on this, that eye where you shine it, but. Contralaterally. And that, what is that called? It's called pupillary constriction. Consensual. Okay. Consensual. Yeah, consensual. Okay. So that's you've got to make sure you're checking both sides because yeah. if there's a deficit, you don't know if it's a sensory deficit or yeah. a motor deficit. Good point. So you've got to check both. All right. What happens if there's double vision? So if a person says, oh, you know, Is that Michael, diplopia? Diplopia. Yeah. Double vision. As in, w- what nerve could it be affecting? So it's, the way, it's the way the eyes tracking. So the eye muscles may be uncoordinated with each other. Yes. And that would cause two visual... That makes sense. Okay. And that would generally get worse as it moves. 
can also make the, the point side. that when you're or if you are going to be doing this H maneuver yeah. and tracking the eye movement of the individual, that you also look for an astigmas. Yeah, very right? That's right. And so there's this rule of thumb, which is basically if you get a horizontal nystigmus, right. peripheral deficit. If you get a vertical nystigmus, central damage. Right. Rule of thumb, not always the case. So there's nystagmus are just kind of the eyes kind of shake. Yeah, it's they like can, a jittering. They can kind of it go. It doesn't move in a nice fluid, okay. smooth way. It sort of jars as it moves. Yeah. And that could be quite a complicated motor issue. Well, yeah. So it could be a cerebellum problem. So the big, the small part of your brain. That well, this is where that that rule of thumb doesn't it flies out the window. Is if it's cerebellar, um, and, and also um, vestibular, which yeah. is your inner ear, um, and this kind of, I think this feeds into also the difficulty of movement. And you saw that when you were on the boat the other day, oh. you had vestibular problems, you had visual problems, and you had your problems. and then you. <laughs> Your body resulted and gastrointestinal by problems. That's right. That lasted a while. All right, I think that's that's it. So yeah. let's. So we've done forty-five minutes wh- down. We need to go to one, cranial nerve two, five. three, four, and we've done six. Yes. Now let's go to five. This done. is the largest cranial nerve. Well, what about the uh, vagus? The vagus goes the furthest, but the biggest in diameter is this nerve. Ah, and that's the trigeminal. And what does it mean? Uh, tri means three. Yeah. Geminal means. Uh, Twin? Does it? What, three twins? So six? Well, technically it would be, right? Because of pairs, that's a good point. Okay, so trigeminal tells you... Gemini, what's Gemini? Gemini. Besides your first car you owned. Did drive a Gemini at one point. I knew that. Um, I don't know. Do What is Gemini? See, I'm not up with uh, astrology. I I thought you were. What is Gemini? In your third eye. Oh, God. Anyway, Michael's quickly looking that up. While yeah, I want to know I'll what Gemini st- I'll start the anatomy. Uh, Gemini is the third astrological sign of the zodiac, originating from the constellation of Gemini. Under the tropical zodiac, the sun trans... Oh, no, that's a bunch of crap. Um, it's got two owls here. Does it mean owl? You just look it up quickly and I'll start with anatomy. All right, go. All right, so the trigeminal nerve is uh, quite a large nerve. Did you know when a, tri- uh, when, a, when, a, when a Gemini man falls in love, it's hard to say how long it will last? Okay. That's just what the internet says. <laughs> okay, so this nerve has two main portions to it. It has a big sensory portion. Means twins. Twins. Oh, thanks. So you were I right. I was right. Yeah, you are totally right. Good By on. the way, I need to make a correction on myself. Um, apparently, uh, Galen was Greek. So yeah. <laughs> However, he did a lot of his practice in Rome. So that's where I got mixed up. All right. So He's we're both Greek. right. He's a, he was hybridized. <laughs> He's hybridized. <laughs> Alright, trigeminal, go. So, trigeminal is a big nerve that comes off the pons, the f- the front of the pons. The so middle part of the, the brainstem is the pons. The pons is the bridge. The bridge. Okay. So I like it, that. It, it's the bridge between a lot of things. Um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> that helps people. Cere- cerebellum into the cerebrum and then spinal cord up into the brain. That's the bridge, I think. Alright, so it's got a big sensory portion and a smaller motor portion. Okay, so... So, it's both. It's both. So, this is the first cranial nerve we're coming across that is both sensory and motor. Yeah. So, it's going to have afferent and efferent signals coming into the brain and coming out of the brain. Now, in most cases, it has three big branches that you should be aware of. It has the ophthalmic. Yeah, meaning eye. The maxillary. Yeah. And the mandibular. What's the difference between maxillary and mandibular? Uh, the, The region. 
Is that what you mean? Yeah. Where yeah. it goes? Yeah. So the mandibular is mandible, so it's jaw. Yeah. Maxilla is your maxilla, so it's cheek area. And the ophthalmic is going towards the eye, but it's kind of on your forehead. So, so you could do like a, you could get your first three fingers, index finger, middle finger, and ring finger, and just get those three as though you're showing somebody, you know, I want three of this. Okay. <laughs> and you put it across the side of your face, and the index finger points towards the eye, the um, middle finger points towards your nose, and the ring finger points towards your bottom jaw. Yeah. And that's sort of how the trigeminal moves across your face, right? Yeah, more or less. And okay. so, kind of go with your forehead, your whole, all your skin of your forehead, and probably a degree of your scalp and so forth, is innervated by this nerve, ophthalmic. Okay. Ophthalmic? Kind of, yeah, oh, yeah, ophthalmic of the trigeminal. Yeah. Yes, sorry. So, we call that V1, because V is five in Roman numerals, yep. and the first branch of it, V1, yep. is going to be the ophthalmic. Then wouldn't they do, if, it's, if V means five, instead of doing one, wouldn't they do I? And then wouldn't it be... Or VV, maybe. No, V... No, no, VI. Yeah. Um, and so, does the next one VII? V2. Which would be seven? That's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> so, the maxillary branch of the trigeminal is kind of going below your eye down to your, say, bottom lip... Oh, sorry, your lip. Yeah, okay. Top lip. Yeah. Okay, that's so all cheek. That. Basically, cheek. Yeah, the cheek. And then the, and the last one, the mandibular part, does your lower jaw. All right. Okay. So, that, that means all the sensory to that area. That's... Skin, okay. So, if I touch my forehead and move all the way down from forehead to cheek to jaw, I'm s- stimulating the sensory aspect of the tri- of each of the trigeminal branches. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so, when you have a neurological done, or if you were to have a neurological done, or if you're a health professional and you're going to do a neurological yeah. on your Assessment, patient, you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you would test it both in touch, but also for crude, possibly even pain. So, you wouldn't inflict pain, but no. you would use, say, a cotton bud or a cotton ball for touch versus maybe a pin, mm. and then you'd test forehead, cheek, jaw, well, the, both it, sides. Yes, but the interesting thing is that, I mean, even though it has a sensory aspect and a motor aspect, that, you know, one's really affected without the other one being affected. So, you could test... Uh, the sensory and motor aspects by doing the corneal reflex. Yep, but right? the, the corneal reflex will have, again, like the pupil reflex, it will have a sensory and a motor portion. Yeah. And so the sensory portion is going to be trigeminal, mm. but its motor portion is going to be facial. Okay. Is it? Yeah. Because the motor portion of trigeminal is the muscles of mastication, mm. chewing only. But that's actually good. Oh, yeah, of course. So, it's actually good because both the pupil reflex and the corneal reflex actually in together, two, just by two little tests, test four nerves. Test five and seven. For the corneal reflex? Yeah. Yeah, five and seven. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And you could do that with the unresponsive patient too. So, if the patient's yeah, in a coma, right. you could just sort of just open the uh, eyelid a little bit and just... Do the corneal reflex with a cotton bud or a yeah, tissue so not or on the coloured part, just no, on no, the border no, of the white to the coloured, yeah. the cornea. That's right. Yeah, so it's a very yeah the cornea, the <laughs> yeah. very sensitive area. That yes, okay. Um, so since you've said it, the other well, the motor portion of the trigeminal is the muscles to move your jaw. Mm. So these are the chewing muscles. So ways you chewing. can test that is get your patient to clench their jaw. So get them to do it themselves. I'm not sure what Michael's doing right now. I'm just clenching my jaw and put my hand under my jaw. Okay, so if you get them to clench their jaw, okay, and grit their teeth almost, but <laughs> that's right, you're good. 
um, your uh, hands on either side of the jaw and you can feel that muscle that pops up. Mm-hmm. What's that? That's the masseter. Mm-hmm. So that will test. That's trigeminal. Okay. So when I clench my teeth, I feel that masseter that bulge muscle bulge up. Yeah. And so that's that wouldn't come up if my trigeminal wasn't working that's properly. That's right. Gotcha. Also, the ones in your temporal region. Okay. So that's oh, they're the, always flaring. They're the strongest chewing muscle you got. So that's why, say, carnivores, so animals that eat a lot of meat, they have really strong jaws and their temporalis goes right at the top of the head like a dog. If you feel the top of a dog's head, it has a big mm. kind of ridge at the top because they have all the muscles anchoring on there oh. and it makes it very, very strong. It's like, say, hyenas have a really weird-shaped skull because they have the strongest bite, I think. Wow. Because but, of the muscles for chewing. Yeah. Ooh. So, you can test that with your patient, get them to close the jaw and clench it and you can test all those muscles. Give them bone to chew on. All that. Um, and then get them to close their jaw completely and then you resist them opening it. Yeah. And that's, you only have one muscle to open your mouth and that's your pterygoid muscle. Mm. Um, and that's why in most cases, dogs, crocodiles, all that's the... why I can keep a jaw shut with yeah, a rubber band, they right? they have a very weak muscle to open the jaw. Yeah. Okay. I think that's really... That's the main trigeminal. So right. you're doing. What about uh? What about ice cream headaches, man? We're going to talk about ice cream headaches. Refer uh, pain to the trigeminal. Well, you do have trigeminal neuralgia, which is very painful. And um, it's and that's a type of headache. That's an ice cream headache. So is you know, that when just you eat, constriction or something? I I was under the impression that it's referred pain. From when you eat ice cream mm. and it's so cold at the roof of your mouth yeah. that you get the vasoconstriction, yeah. which irritates the trigeminal, the um, maxillary branch. Right. But then as that feeds back, you get a confusion and you think it's coming from the ophthalmic branch. You fire it and it feels like you're getting a headache. Oh, yeah. And so all you need to do is stop that. Because obviously ice cream is cold and it tells blood vessels to constrict. All you need to do is just heat up the roof of your mouth again and the headache should disappear. It's transient anyway, right? Transient. Yeah, but people sook. They go, start smacking the head. Do they? Oh, well, I did. <laughs> and then that would give you an osmia because you smacked your head too hard. Exactly. And now I've buggered up two cranial nerves. Uh, <laughs> with that, since you spoke about headache, um, because your neurons, Aspirin. or your brain, yeah. technically doesn't have pain. So if you were to open someone's skull and just poke it with a your pin, finger, yeah. or your finger, they wouldn't feel pain. No, that's true. So, what causes a the headache then? Oh, this is is this biological or philosophical? No, biological. Perception. Well, there's only really three types of receptors that can elicit pain from your head. Okay. From your head or into your head? Well, kind of all around that area. All right, go on. So let me got... pull. Let me uh, poke holes in your. Okay. Your, your so you got the blood vessels. <laughs> yep. All your blood vessels in your brain around your brain, around your skull, around your meninges, all that, have pain receptors on the walls. All yes, around that's them. true. And so when you have possibly a, a vascular issue, like it's dilated or you get the throbbing headaches. Yes. Okay, so that would, every pulse of blood that goes yep. causes the throbbing. Yep. Then you have all your neck and kind of s- scalp muscles. So they would get a pain, and so that's more the tension headaches. Yes. And so you get the headaches associated with it comes up your neck into the back of your head. Sometimes into the occipital, and you can get yeah. visual deficits. Okay. And then the other one is the meninges. So they're the kind of pressure headaches, which is can be caused by the increase in pressure in your brain. Yep. So with pe- people who have increased 
um, intracranial pressure. That's what I was looking for. Um, they get those kind of meningitis headaches. Yes, and that's the extreme though. You can get irritation of the meninges. Yeah, uh, through dehydration. So right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if the brain's either got shrunk in or pushed out. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so then I think in addition to that is a trigeminal headache, which would be. Um, what you just said because Oscar headache. Yeah, so you got all the sensory of your face. Meninges is is also trigeminal. What about and wisdom teeth, mate? Yeah, that's trigeminal. Yep. Um, so when you go to a dentist and they want to pull a tooth out, I've actually had eight pulled out. Eight. Eight. Can you believe it? Uh, so I've no. had four molars. Have, yeah. Four molars out. Yeah. And I've had my wisdom teeth out because of its effect on the trigeminal. No, just because I had big teeth. Big teeth, small, <laughs> small jaw. Yeah. Yeah, well, probably more big teeth. So, <laughs> so the doctor, the dentist, yeah. had to do well for the first four molars. Had to do local blocks, so sticking needle into my gum with lignocaine, which is a local anaesthetic, mm. blocks the transmission of the nerve, then can pull the tooth out. Mm. So, the dentist would have to have very good knowledge of the anatomy of the trigeminal nerves, yeah. the branches, particularly the maxilla, yep. and the. Um, and that explains why when you have sinusitis, this occasionally happens to me, when you have sinusitis, or you have too much fluid in your, say, maxillary sinus, yep. you get numbness in your back teeth. Really? I've Has never had that. Never had that? Never had that. Okay. Do you get that? Yeah, I get that occasionally. Numbness in the yeah, back teeth? Yeah, because it's affecting So, it's a feel like nerves. when you chew, like when you masticate at the back of your jaw. It's more just you get pins and needles. Weird. Yeah. No, never had that. Never even heard of that. No, haven't? No. Oh, there no. you go. Um, all right, we're done with tri, trigeminal? Yeah, I think the trigeminal we've done... Facial now. The big. I think we spoke about the best way to test it. Yep. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. And we've done six. We did that with the eye. Facial nerve. Now, oh, oh, oh. To touch and feel, F is both a sensory and motor nerve. What are we going to talk about with the uh, seventh cranial nerve, the facial nerve, Matthew? So the facial nerve, as it would suggest by its name, is going to go to your face. 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 Okay. Oh, Sean it's, Connery now. It's coming out now. We've moved from the pons down to the pons medulla area. Yeah. So that it's quite, kind of called the ponto medullary junction. Um, so this nerve, again, is a mixed nerve. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Both. Sensory motor. Okay. So, it's so first, what's the sensory? The sensory is kind of uh, complicated because yep. it's going to have a degree of special sensory in it, yep. which so is taste. Any hearing? Um, the hearing will be more for the next one. So there's no innovation in the middle ear or anything like that? Maybe that's uh, there's a There's an innovation to a uh, muscle yep. of the middle ear. Strapedius? Strapedius, yeah. Okay. Strapedius. Um, Sorry. So, let, let's go with the muscles first. The muscles, okay. are, it's the muscles of facial expression. So, smiles. Yeah. So Sadness. If, if you want. Joy. Anger. Good. I'm a so thespian. All, the, all the muscles that move your face in expression will be innervated by this nerve. Forward movement? Yeah. And so, there are five branches here. And that is to Zanzibar by Motocar. What? To Zanzibar by Motocar. Yeah. So, T. Yeah. This is doing the mnemonics again. Yeah. T, temporal. Yeah. Two, Zanzi. That's, <laughs> uh, or Zanzibar. That's zygomatic. Bi, buckle. Motor. Uh, mandibular. Car, cervical. To Zanzibar. 
Bar. Which is a country, I think. A motor car. An island country in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the five branches of the facial nerve okay. motor wise. That's the one we spoke about last week where there's in India the anatomists have to dissect it out of the product. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that is the muscles going to your movement. So basically it's you get in your patients to do if you want to test the motor portion, get them to move these muscles. Yeah. Okay, Ask so them to smile or chuckle or Yeah, to again um, you could resist them, open their eyes. Yeah. Or you try and get them to get their eyes to close, put your fingers around their eyes and say open or close and you try to resist. Like Mr. It. Bean when he was in the church and he had to keep his eyes open. Have you seen that episode? No. Oh, it's very funny. So that's He's testing his facial. That's nerve. testing a part of it. Yep. But also crinkle your forehead for me, Michael. Crinkle, not that oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you want to see these lines, these crinkles in your forehead. Perfectly. I just thought I was old. That's that's some. Then you get them to smile. Okay, good. So Michael looks all right, and then you get <laughs> thanks. If you get them to kind of do the wrinkled, you know, the wrinkled um, neck. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's oh, put. Yeah, so it kind of looks like a frill neck lizard. Yeah, that's it. So that to people. Oh, the what about our international listeners? They don't know what a frill neck lizard is. A lizard with a big neck. <laughs> Jeez, that doesn't help them. All uh, right. So all these are facial nerves. Yeah. So okay. now, why this is important? Yeah, go is on. because. Um, one of the signs of a stroke is facial paralysis or facial drooping. That's more sensual, right? Yes, but I'm just going with the, that to begin with, right? Okay. So, if a patient presents with facial drooping, yes, you don't know immediately if it is from a higher brain center gotcha. or a facial nerve palsy. Gotcha. If it's sensual or peripheral, That's basically. Right. And so, basically, all you need to do is to get them to crinkle their forehead. And so, if they have a facial droop, let's say on the right side, mm. so all their right side of their body is, oh, sorry, right side of their face is drooping. Yeah. If you get them to crinkle their forehead, okay, yeah. so crinkle it for me. That's all right. Go up. So yeah, look I'm, up, like you're surprised. Yeah, I'm bad at crinkling. Yeah, if they go. can crinkle, that means it is more likely to be a stroke. Okay. Okay. But if it's absent, okay, it's more likely to be a facial nerve palsy. Okay. Okay. Because the part of your brain, the motor cortex that supplies your um, muscles of your forehead, go to both sides of the body. Yeah. So that's why it can be innervated by the other side. So if you have a stroke, which is essentially um, a loss of, what would you say, oxygen to the, the part of the neurons. Yeah. Okay. The neurons are dying. Which could off be from a, of a, bleed, a bleed or a, a blockage. Clot. Okay. That's hot, happening high up in the brain. If they've got facial drooping, just get them to look up, crinkle. And if they can crinkle, it's most likely going to be an upper motor neuron issue, like a stroke, which is serious. If they can crinkle. If they a, can crinkle. Gotcha. Whereas if it's a facial nerve palsy, like... Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy. Yeah. So, that's more to do with the nerve, the facial nerve has been squashed and then it's been damaged and then it's de-innovated your muscles of your Bell's palsy often happens due to uh, viral infections. Yeah, so my understanding is the virus goes into the nerve. Herpes zoster Swells after. it up. Yeah. But where the nerve comes through the skull, it's no got nerve. a narrow column, not column, uh, tunnel. Yeah. And it squashes against the tunnel and it kind of not kills off the nerve, but damages No, because the, the nerve, nerve often comes back after back. a couple of months yeah. without any long-lasting damage. Yeah, so um, that's how you test between, say, a, a lower motor neuron, which is, say, Bell's palsy, versus an upper motor neuron, which is more likely a stroke. Do you watch Game of Thrones? 
No. Oh, well, you're a loser. But <laughs> the the mountain on Game of Thrones, everyone who listens obviously watch games of Game of Thrones, the mountain off Game of Thrones, the big beast that's there looking after Cersei, uh, in real life, uh, Thor Bjornsson, I think his name is, he's currently got Bell's palsy. He's got he's got paralysis of the uh, the facial nerve, I think, of right hand side. He's had can't. it for had it for months, but he's been lifting because he's a he's a power lifter, like world's strongest man. Okay. And he's been lifting. If you go on his Instagram, which I have a look at, because he's a monster, um, you'll see him when he goes to lift, and you know they make that tough sort of face when they're going to lift a heavy weight. One side makes it, the other side is not making that look. Okay. So, is, that's so if you test it on him, yeah. Um, he won't be able to crinkle his forehead. He won't be able to crinkle his forehead. Yeah, that's, that's right. Well, that's an important test to All discriminate. Right. But now, so, but but uh, facial also plays a role in taste, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a confusing one. But so this is a, sensory now. There's a spent yeah special sensory. So there's a special little nerve that's called the chordae tympanae. Yep. Which kind of um, goes jumps on board with the trigeminal, the lingual nerve, which can be the nerve blocked to pull out your lower teeth. Yeah. Dentist. It jumps on with the lingual nerve to give the taste to the front of your tongue. Yeah, okay. The anterior tongue. Now, as a clinical test, tasting isn't a good one because taste and smell are so intimately linked that you may get a false negative, false positive reading. Okay. Um, and the other thing it, the facial nerve does, um, this is it's parasympathetic, yeah. is it helps you lacrimate, cry, yeah. and salivate. Uh, crocodile tears. Crocodile mate. tears, yeah. Um, Let's talk more a little bit about the cranial nerve um, seven, so the facial nerve sending one of its little branches to the muscle that's stapedius in the middle ear. Okay. So if this is affected and somebody has Bell's palsy, they may have hyperacusis. Yeah, so this is a little muscle that pulls on the eardrum to dull it off if it's too loud. Yeah, but if it's paralyzed, it doesn't do that. Anymore. Can't dull it off, and they get the they say that things basically sound louder. Yeah. And actually, going back to what you said about sensory, there is a degree of sensory, just um, probably pain touch to the eardrum, okay. not not hearing, yeah, but just a bit of. You don't want to test sensory. that. You don't really want to start it's rubbing a, the eardrum. The ear, well, the eardrum ear canal mm. is kind of complicated. It has, I think, three different innervations in it. So it's, I think facial, glossopharyngeal, and vagus, and sometimes people who clean their ears can cough or vomit. Yeah, isn't that Wilson's nerve? Not sure the guy. Who Arnold's went. Arnold's nerve. That's Arnold's okay, nerve. Okay, so there you go. I think that's facial. We got to. Oh, we got to hurry on. up. Yeah, yeah. So okay. That, that's Number facial. Eight. Quite complicated. This one's not too bad. This is vestibular cochlear. It has two parts. Um, it has. What's vestibular mean? Vestibular is your balance center. What's cochlear? Cochlear mean? is like a shell. Okay, but it's and referring to the inner ear. The hearing. The inner hearing part. So, basically, balance and inner ear. Yeah, so it's fairly straightforward. This is special sensory. This is a ex- very exclusive nerve. Nowhere else in the body. It's giving you this, the ability to um, know where your body is in space by your head. Yep. Um, so, what your head's doing right, left, forward, back, and acceleration. And also hearing. So, deep hearing centers. And you can, again, test it by low-frequency hearing. You can be whispering into the patient's ear. And see well, they, they also use the vibrating fork, fork yeah. to put on their skull, but also to hear it. So there's that... Weber's test. Weber's and something else. Remember it? Rhiner's. Rhiner's. Is it? Rhiner's. 
Uh. So I think they go boom, and if they can hear it while it's vibrating next to your ear, that's you one. You put it on the not, temporal bone. Yeah, and that's conductive deafness, I think. Okay. Good. Is that it? I think that's it. There's also tests where I so think it's obviously a sensory nerve. There's no motor associated with special, it. Special sensory, special. just being able to hear, um, and hearing that light tuning fork. Isn't it Schwabach's test? Um, no, sure. Schwabach's they, test is not. They do lot. put cold water in your ear, and they can that can cause a, I think, an eye movement change. Wow. Anyway, let's move past that. Okay. Nine glossopharyngeal. It should give the name away. Glossus is tongue. And pharyngeal. Back of the throat. Okay, so this is a ninth nerve. This is a mixed nerve. Okay, it's going to have um, some special sensory. It's going to have some motor and it's going to have some movement in it, uh-huh. which is the motor, I guess. So, the sensory is all the sensory of the back of the tongue and the back of your throat. Yep. So, this can be another reflex with nine and ten. So, this is again... Probably so that, that's vagus and accessory. No, glossopharyngeal and vagus. Oh, sorry, glossopharyngeal, vagus. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, again, clinically, this sometimes is advised not to do, but they might get the tongue depressor, you know, that oh, big yeah. paddle pop stick. Yeah. And they might get the person to stick their tongue out and say, ah. Yeah. As you're saying, ah, the, the doctor can be looking at the uvula. Uvula. And if that's deviated in a certain direction, that's indication that there could be either a vagus or a pharyngeal or a glossopharyngeal issue. But then they put the, um, the tongue depressor to the back of your throat and then hit the back wall. Now, it's sensory. That will cause the person to do... Gag reflex. So, can you just make the sound? Okay. So, that's test in 9 and 10. Okay. So, the 10, the movement of the one and the throw up, that's vagus. Yeah. But the sensory is glossopharyngeal. Okay. Okay. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. It only innovates one muscle. It's pretty small. It's the um, stylopharyngeus. Oh, but what it? it will do is it will give you a taste of your back of your tongue. Okay. But again, okay. not a good way to test yeah. because, yeah, taste and smell. And, and then you've got the front aspect, which is facial nerve. Yep. So. And the, the other thing it will do is it will give you salivation to the parotid gland. So it will parotid tell gland you is parotid... the salivary gland next to the ear. That's right. And so that's parasympathetic function. And that's glossopharyngeal. Glossopharyngeal. All right. All right, so that's oh. nine done. We're almost there. Vegas. So this is the probably longest running nerve. Number 10. Okay. It goes everywhere. Not everywhere, but It's been distance. everywhere, man. That's why it's called the vagus, the, the, the wandering nerve. Um, okay, so some of the stuff it does. So basically to test this nerve clinically, what the, um, the doctor would get the patient to do is just get them to talk and swat or swallow. Yeah. If they can't coordinate this properly, so if they've got hoarseness or some speech issues or they can't swallow, chances are the vagus has some issues. All right. Okay. Because the vagus is quite complicated, but it has two nerves that branch off the recurrent laryngeal, superior laryngeal, which kind of go all around your larynx. Yeah. So control your speech all the little muscles to move your vocal cords. So, that, that's a simple one for, for vagus. You just get somebody to talk. Yeah. And if they've got hoarseness... And if they sort of sound, oh, they talk, oh, they talk like this, or oh, they can't control it very yeah. well. Or they can't cough. They cough like a cow. How's a cow cough? <laughs> <laughs> they can't... Like, for us, we close our vocal cords to let the air go out. Yeah. I don't think they can do that. So, they just go... <laughs> I, think, I never watched. <laughs> you watch cows cough. 
that's shameful. Uh, other thing it does is it goes. It's uh, parasympathetic, so it's going to go all to your heart, to your um, airways, airways down to your gut. gut. We spoke about that in the parasympathetic. Yeah. Um, now with this verse, with this nerve, yes, with this nerves, um, you can have a reflex or a mismanaged reflex, which oh, I yes. have. Yeah. Oh, can I? Can I? Can I? Please. Which is called the vasovagal. Syncope. Yeah, so... Syncope means to pass out. Yeah, so... Vasovagal is referring to the effect that the vagus system has on blood vessel diameter. Yeah. And uh, if you stimulate it, it basically will redirect blood flow away from your brain to your legs. Uh, or just away. Or not, just not... away to your periphery. Um, not going to your brain, which means your brain doesn't get the blood it needs and it switches itself off and you pass out. Now, this can happen a number of different ways, all of which stimulating the vagus nerve, and you can do this stimulation of the vagus nerve uh, through, what's it called when you... Oh, yeah. Um... Mind blank. You're doing a poo. And everything's tensed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mind blank. Mind I don't blank, know why blank. I can't remember it either. Can't, it will come to me. It will come to me. Keep yeah. talking. Um, so, basically, you can stimulate the vagus nerve through fear. So, you can scare somebody, um, which is like a sympathetic, parasympathetic rebound effect. Um, you can do it through that tensing. Like, uh, like, like if you, uh, like I said, trying to do a big poo <laughs> and you're blocking everything off. You're blocking your airways off and you're increasing your abdominal pressure. This can also stimulate the vagus nerve as well. And the stimulation of the vagus nerve can cause somebody to pass out. So, some people may pass out when they're pooping. But this also happens when you're vomiting. And uh, Matthew, is, Dr. Me, Matt, yeah. Dr. Matt, uh, poor guy, every time he vomits, <laughs> he passes out. Yeah, for some reason, for most recently, so the last probably four, four bouts of vomiting I've had, yeah. I keep waking up on the ground. That's... So you have a big drive. So to vomit, you have to have a big drive of vagus stimulation to stomach. Yes. To coordinate all those three layers of muscles to your stomach, you need a big vagal drive. And I guess what happens with me as I'm driving the stomach to vomit, it doesn't. It over overcompensates the is Valsalva movement. Valsalva. Valsalva. It's the Valsalva movement. It over overcompensates too much, and I don't get enough blood to my brain, and therefore I faint. That's not cool. No, it's not cool. God. So, yeah. So, this uh, vasovagal syncope, um, vas- uh, Valsalva maneuver can affect the, uh, the was tone. Was you was telling me, but it was someone, if it wasn't you, it was someone else. Yeah. Obviously. Um, <laughs> 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 who said, because um, I told them about my vasovagal. Yeah. And I think they said, well, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, their brother or something like yeah. that, um, when they go to the toilet, they'll faint. Because yeah, bowel movements. No, just a bit of straining. Wow. They'll just faint. So, the, the amount of time that passed out and woken up in a public toilet wow. is innumerable. Wow. So, I guess I'm lucky in that compared to that. So, you can you can use it. You can use that Valsalva maneuver to... If you've got supraventricular tachycardia, yeah, right. so your heart rate's going like 200 beats a minute... You can uh, do the pooing maneuver, Valsalva maneuver, and because of its vagal stimulation, and remember the vagus, parasympathetic nerve, goes to the heart, tells it to slow down, hmm. you can slow down supraventricular tachycardia. Yeah, there's, there's easier ways than probably that. 
Um, Jugs. You can do a, well, that one as well, but you can do a carotid massage. So, if you find where you're... Yeah, be careful though. Because, that's right. Be careful because you might throw a clot off. So, don't do it. So, just but just to say where the procedure lies. <laughs> just to tell you how internal, not to do the thing. external carotid is kind of, I think about C3, which yeah. is kind of the angle of your mandible. Yeah. That area there. If you were to massage it with your fingers and take your heart rate, it theoretically should drop. But also could loosen up a little plaque. Well, there is commonly plaques in that region because it's a high velocity flow area. So. And it's a... And a uh, large diameter artery. That's Usually right. large diameter arteries love having uh, deposits. The other way you can get a person to drop is... <laughs> um, you mean through vasovagus tachy- Super tachycardia, super ventricular tachycardia, is yeah. put their head in a bucket of ice. Oh, to get their blood... Uh, I think it's their a diving reflex, to, isn't it? Yeah, this, yeah, the diving reflex. Yeah, I think that drops their heart but rate. But I don't think... Ev- do we all have the diving reflex? Yeah, I think we all do. Oh, okay. All right, so there's that. There's the vagus vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve does a lot of muscles in your back of your throat, helps you talk, helps you swallow. Very important there. It also does all your parasympathetic stuff. And uh, I think that's really it. Accessory, then hypoglossal. Let's do it. There's probably a lot more there, but I think that's Oh, look, it's already been an hour and 18 minutes. (laughs) So (laughs) if anyone's still listening. The accessory nerve, the accessory nerve is... Um, number 11, it's got two parts to it. It has a spinal accessory yeah. and a cranial accessory. Now, this is what I'll go with the cranial first. Its output is in the medulla. Okay. Now, it's technically said that the vagus motor and the glossopharyngeal motor comes with the cranial accessory. And because that's so complicated, they call the nucleus the nucleus ambiguous. Which makes sense because they have no idea. Have no idea. Say. Yeah, but but you test them all together, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. all the pharyngeal muscles technically technically come out of the cranial part of this uh, accessory, but there'd be no way to separate it. Really, I don't think. That's but the spinal accessory. Remember, we said about um, evolutionary. We had the nerves outside, then come back in. Yeah. The cranial, sorry, the spinal accessory is where it's come out and gone in. And okay. so, this is where you innovate the traps and the SCM. Shoulder shrugs. So, what to test this, the spinal accessory, which is your trapezius, the tra- a trapezoid, is that right? Trapezoid? Trapezoid is a triangle, isn't it? Yeah. So, that's the muscle at the back. So, if you were to take the skin off <laughs> and then some fat off, yeah. the first muscle you would see is this big triangle muscle. Yeah. And that's your, trape- your traps or trapezius muscle. Yeah. So, to test that, you'd get, you put your hands on the back of your patient and get them to shrug. On the shoulders. And they would be resist equal their on both sides. Yeah. Okay. The other one is that neck muscle at the front mm. that helps you turn your head on either side. Now, interestingly with this, to turn to your right, so to look over your right shoulder, yeah, doing you it. need your left. Left what? Sternocleidomastoid muscle. Oh. And if to turn left, you need your right. Okay. Oh. So, just to confuse you here, yeah. um, to test the nerve, if they can't turn to the right, that would be a dysfunction with the left nerve. Left or, or, or right? The left. Because you've got to use the other muscle to do the opposite thing. So, it's contralateral yeah. to the movement. Interesting. Yeah, All right, that's accessory. Hypoglossal. This is the last one. This is, this the last is nerve motor nerve. So, what do you think it is by its name? Hypo means under. Glossal means tongue. Yeah. So it's under the tongue nerve. Yeah. Am and I so right? 
This this nerve has been pulled in from your occipital um, muscle group. So oh. it, it's pulled it from your neck yeah. all the way around and into moves your tongue. tongue. So it's motor for tongue, moves yeah. your tongue around. And that's that's basically it, that's right? That's it. So it's just motor so only. So get your patient to poke their tongue out at you. Yeah, so you can test it by a couple of things. You could just get them to open their mouth yeah. and with their tongue on the bottom, look at their tongue closely and if it um, is wasted, yeah. so if one side is kind of less than the other, or it shakes, which is called vesiculations. Yeah, looks like a bag of worms. Yeah, that's a problem. Or if you get them to point it straight out, but it deviates to a side, that would deviate to the problem side. And it could, again, be indicative of upper motor neurons if... Something's happening like, oh, like a motor neuron disease. Motor neuron disease could result in muscle yeah, wasting sure. to the tongue. But I think with a with a lower motor neuron, you get the fasciculations. Not like uh, like ALS, like amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, like Lou Gehrig's disease. Okay. Um, the tongue's the um, uh, like the, the fibrillations is what's most suggestive of ALS. Oh, is it? Yes. I always thought because fasciculations is usually a lower motor neuron, but there you go. Yep. So yeah. The, um, so that's the twelve cranial nerves. Yep. I guess it, we took an hour and twenty minutes, but they are. You know why? Very important. The whole ALS thing with the tongue. Why? Because the tongue is the only place in the body where single muscle fibers are seen in the natural setting. Okay. So single muscle fibers. So if you've got oh, right. amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or motor neuron disease, you know it's going to affect those motor neurons, uh, and you see fasciculations. You see the tongue sort of pulsing pulsing like you know you get, a, you get the eye flickering yeah so you get the fibrillations but the eye flickering isn't a sign of motor neurons but the flickering of the tongue uh, is a sign of motor neurons there you go or you can uh, anyway yeah so that's good. your 12 cranial nerves make sure you know that they're paired make sure you know they're parasympathetic sorry they are peripheral not central yeah um, we've gone through all all of them individually um, you should know them all Absolutely. By name, you should know if they're and sensory, nature. motor, or yep. both. So again, oh, 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 to touch and feel very good velvet are heaven, and then, whether they're sensory, motor, or both, some say marry money, but my brother says big brains matter most. There you go. And you should also know how they may present clinically and how you would test them. Everybody, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel where we basically teach all this stuff visually. Uh, it's Biological Sciences, uh, and just type in Biological Sciences, and you'll see myself or Matthew standing there bouncing around in front of the in front of the camera. You can contact us on social media, Twitter, at gubiosciences. You can also contact us individually on Twitter. I'm, I don't even know, I'm at Mikey Todd. And what are you, at Dr. Bartox? Dr. Bartox. Uh, we've got Instagram, at GU Biosciences. We've got Facebook. Just type in Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us, or at least you like the content, please go on iTunes and give us a good review, both verbally, oh, well, not verbally, you can type it in, and give us five stars, because uh, that allows for more people to see what we're doing and help others. We just like helping people. That's yeah. what we do. So. And like always, suggestions for topics and corrections if Michael is wrong. We love <laughs> yous all. See ya. Bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.